God bless America, everybody. Uh, I use that phrase somewhat ironically, but it, it's the 4th of July, man, or ma'am, or whoever's watching this. And this is I Remember This Cassette, the podcast about remembering cassettes, because I still haven't come up with a better uh, catchphrase. I, I think this is good enough. But, um, yeah, I'm your boy Kyle, here with another delightful romp through nostalgia. And, um, for those dedicated goomers, which is my word for people that watch or listen to this podcast regularly, because I just came up with that word four months ago and really don't have a plan for it, but for those dedicated ones who listened to, like, last week's episode... Uh, I said I was hoping to stick with the John Goodman trajectory, because uh, last week we did We're Back a Dinosaur Story, starring John Goodman as Mr. We're Back a Dinosaur Story himself. Um, we'll get to it. What I, I completely and utterly forgot was it's 4th of July week this week, so I, I need to do something special-ish about it. I mean, I'm not like a big patriotic person. Anyone that knows me knows I'm almost quite the opposite. Nevertheless, it's a special day, so I should do special stuff. I mean, I've done a Halloween episode. I did an entire month for Christmas for some reason. Um, and I, I try and do stuff that's kind of tangentially related. So while I don't have anything that's full on Fourth of July, the story of America stuff, because that was just never my cup of tea... Fourth of July is the ultimate summer holiday, you know? You get explosives and barbecues and not having to go to school or work, usually. So, I mean, you're never in school on Fourth of July, but you get to have that summer feeling of being free and not having to go in and wake up at 7 a.m. to do something repetitive and monotonous. And the only day you can really do that, at least in America, which is where we are, is the 4th of July, so while I can't quite do a, this is the story of America, because there weren't really movies like that when I watched more than 10 years ago, which is kind of my criterion for picking a movie for the week, I sure can do some summary stuff, so I'll, I'll summarize a summary movie and put a summary on, I, I can't get summary, summary pun to play, that's just terrible, that's a travesty, tragedy, tragedy. Oh, golly, wow. Uh, but look, uh, haven't done much summer stuff, so I had a few options to pick from. I scrapped them immediately, uh, because there's just one that I have to do, because it's one that I've referenced on multiple episodes uh, in the past, Episodes of I Remember This Cassette. Uh, more particularly the ending, because the ending of that movie is just very influential on several films to come. I, in fact, I'd argue that this movie, as a children's film, or as a film about summer, or a film about nostalgia and childhood and sports, uh, was very influential on most movies that came afterwards. Um... I'll just stop beating around the bush and explain to you. Okay, the, the movie is the 1993 film The Sandlot, uh, which is the, store, the ultimate baseball movie that doesn't contain angels or dogs or Gina Davises or Gippers or ghosts or any of those things. It's just straight up kids playing baseball and remembering the summers of their youth. It's classic. It's Americana. It's what you gotta do for this, the most fourthiest of Julys. Uh, I, mean, I, I was thinking, like, what other movies I could do that pertain to the founding of America. I could have done Rudolph and Goddamn Frosty, but I did it like an idiot in uh, for Christmas. But it was the one I did closest to Christmas because... Heck, it's the ultimate Christmas around the world movie. And if I were to redo all that, I probably would have done this movie for 4th of July instead. But uh, hindsight's 2020, and next year's 2020. 
What a kawinky dinky binky. I, I don't even know what I'm saying there. But look, we're doing we're doing Sandlot. It's gonna be fantastic. Uh I mean my history with the movie will come up next time, but it's a 1993 film about a bunch of kids that are kids in a time that is earlier than 1993, therefore being a full movie flashback, and it's just what it's like being a kid growing up in America with other kids also growing up in America. We're the kids in America, whoa, let's go play some goddamn baseball and genuflect and reflect on it just the way that I reflect on these movies and cassettes um yeah it's time for the sandlot okay so the sandlot is as I said a 1993 film about baseball and children and all those wild eyed important things for kids I guess um it starred a bunch of child actors. I don't remember many, if any, of them. Um, I mean, they, they went on to do other stuff eventually, but this was just kind of a... I think it was low budget? But it, it just it became a cult classic. Like, a lot of those movies that become iconic, like, really iconic, not the stuff like Disney that... Had, it's just made to be a classic and they just shove it down your throat every couple of years but it's still well made like all the Disney animated films that people grew up with in the 90s are, are still good movies don't get me wrong and the songs are catchy and things but stuff like I guess The Sandlot which was just a simple movie about baseball that just really clicked with people that grew up at the time uh, people that grew up in the 80s and early 90s just clicked with that movie because it talked about childhood and it also hit upon people that grew up during the time that The Sandlot took place because it's a movie that's told via hindsight because the guy is now an adult and is talking about his adventures in, in the nineteen, the early 70s I think, late 60s, early 70s I'm, I'm just going to pin it as the year 1970 for the sake of just keeping things in line um but telling that kind of story via hindsight also hits upon, like, the parents. They say, oh, no, this is a movie that takes place during the time that we, the parents, grew up, and it's about kids. So let's all get The Sandlot on uh, DVD, not DVD, but DVD eventually, on cassette and give it to our kids. Or it becomes a cult classic because, much like, I don't know, Hocus Pocus, they just played it on cable all the time after it came out, because it was a, a, a well-constructed movie with a lot of quotable moments, but it's still not big enough that people are shelling out millions to play it on their cable channel, so much like Wonderful Life or Hocus Pocus, they just played it so often during a certain time of year that it became beloved, so, and I guess it earned that, and I, I wasn't a fan of the movie, I didn't really watch it growing up, I wasn't a sports kid, I was a nerd, and I never played the baseballs. Um, my brother liked it a bit, though. I think he was more of a baseball, quotable movie kind of guy. So it existed. I don't think we had it even. We didn't have it on cable. We didn't have it on Clamshell Criterion Collection. We got it on DVD eventually because my brother liked it, so he just gets it and watches it or something. Um, but it doesn't star anyone in particular. I think it's got... It's got two main people that are... They actually shelled some money up, but they aren't in that many scenes, but it's just memorable when James Earl Jones shows up uh, with his dog, because that's a big point of the film. Just the, the adults don't appear often in there, but when they show up, they're, they're still driving the plot, I guess, because it's just the story of kids who hung out in a sandlot, which is just some construction site that got abandoned before they put anything on there, but it works well for baseball, because I believe in the sport of baseball. I know it's one, two, three strikes, you're out, and you eat a lot of peanuts and Cracker Jacks, and there's nine innings, and it's three outs per inning. Uh, and I also believe you run on sand fairly often. So to be in a lot made of sand is something that totally makes sense for children to just get out their mitts and their balls and their stuff and play a little bit of baseball when they're not in school. And that's just 
what it's about. Uh, oh, also Christmas Story. Christmas Story also is very similar to Sandlot in that it's a movie told in hindsight that didn't have a lot of budget, had a couple of well-known people in it that they didn't have to shell that much money because they were only in a couple scenes. Um, and then years down the road, it, it, it has enough quotable lines and minimal royalties to play the movie. Um, they just got it and played it enough that it became a classic. So, uh, and it's really similar. I like how they do the in hindsight sort of thing, which I think maybe there were some amount of movies or TV shows in, in the shadow of A Christmas Story that did the, oh, hey, I grew up in this time when a large swath of population in the country, aka the, the baby boomers, uh, we need to appeal to them forever. And we'll also so throw something in for the kiddies, but the, the parents are the ones we're still doing stuff for. Because that's all that's important in America. They're the ones that have all the money, and they're the ones that are going to hold on to all the money. So we'll make a movie obstinately for them, but have some stuff there for the kids. And they did that in Christmas Story, and they do it in Sandlot. And both of those, decades later, are still well-remembered by most people. Uh, I'm not one of them in terms of Sandlot, because I, I didn't watch it all that much, but I watched it a couple times. It's been over ten years, it's, it's, so it's a fair crack at it. A crack of the bat, a swing, the old college baseball try to recall. Uh, and recall I shall. Like, it's got uh, the bunch of the kids that were in that went on to be child stars of the mid to late 90s, none of them got to superstar levels. It's not that it's there's a kid that was in Sandlot that you'll see again in movies nowadays. No, none of that. But the kids in there showed up there and again. So if I mention them, um, I'll see. Look, uh, it's a sweaty premise. To, to suddenly go off topic and start talking about Sandlot, but it needed to be done, and I'll do what I can for it. So do forgive me if some stuff is a little bit off, but I mean, again, that's where the real joy of this podcast comes from. So without any further background, because I don't have all that much background, the Sandlot. The time, summer. The year, 1970. The place, America. The city doesn't matter, for it can be any city. Why, it could even be the city you grew up in, darling, gentle audience. And it's just this child, this young boy, moving into this town, any town USA, and his name is Max, probably. And he is new in town. His parents don't show up because this is a movie ultimately about children, except for a couple instances. Um, he is just new in town and doesn't know what, what to do. So he goes walking outside in his baseball cap with his baseball glove when he sees another child. Uh, I'm going to go with... The one with the glasses, like the, the cool older kid that is kind of a mentor figure. Uh, so we'll just call him Mentor Mikey. So Mentor Mikey just says, oh, hey, Max. I don't know I know your name, but I see you're new in town. I saw your moving van come in. You want to come and play baseball with us? Because baseball is the American pastime, as American as apple pie or slavery. And Max says, sure, I love making new friends, because making friends is as American as baseball or apple pie or slavery. And they say, well, come on, I'm going to show you this place. It's called the Sandlot. It's where we play all the baseball in this town. And because uh, it's a good time to be an American. The year's 1970. We finally finished and definitively won the space race. And even though it's a thin veneer of... American patriotism and wholesome nostalgia over the backdrop of the 1970s where Vietnam is taking place and nasty things are happening in politics, but that's not what it's about. It's about being an innocent child, just like you or me. And uh, the narrator, who we know to be 
Max 25-ish years later is saying, yeah, that's exactly what he's, that's exactly what he said to me. I'll never forget those words when he said, I'm so glad it's the summer after the space race ended because we got a man, Neil Armstrong, on the moon. So it's, it's a good time, but we learned in hindsight the 1970s were not all they were cracked up to be. And this is the story of how we kind of learned that in the summer of our youths. And Max, child Max, just says, yeah, okay, let's go play baseball. And so they uh, go... <laughs> through uh, old holes and fences, walk pack, patch picket fences, and see all the, all the girls drinking lemonade, because this is, this is a story about baseball and sports and innocent male youth. This is not a story about women. They saved that for Sandlot too. Return to the Sandlot, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, but then mentor Mike, Mikey, introduces... Max, the main character, to the other members of the Motley crew that are the Sandlot bunch. bunch. Um, there's Smalls, who is the, the dinky kid, younger than, even than dear old Max. Um, there's Hammy, who's the, the token husky kid. And I think he's the one that becomes the most famous out of all the child actors. I know he was in other sports movies uh, throughout the 90s. I know he was in, like, Heavyweights and Big Green and other stuff like that, but, uh, he's basically the donkey lips of the bunch. Remember Salute Your Shorts? I sure don't. Um, and then there's the Weirdo Twins, and there's the, the Wizard, who's the smart kid. So we've got Mentor Max, Smalls, Hammy, Weirdo, wait, Mentor Max, sorry, I, I lost count of my own damn thingies. We've got Mentor Max, Regular Max, Weirdo Twins are four, Smalls and Hammy, uh, Wizard seven, and then there were two other people. Well, because the whole thing was they needed nine people to make their baseball team, because you can't play baseball without nine people, apparently, and one of the people moved away, because that's just one of the tragedies of youth that some people move away, and in 1970, if you moved, you were never, ever heard from again, kind of like things that happen. Um, there was um, Barry, I think, was one of the kids. He was the, much like there was a token husky kid, there was the token child of color, that was Barry, and um, there's What's-His-Name. They actually call him What's-His-Name because this is a story told by hindsight, um, the narrator explains, sometimes you just forget who some of those people were, but there was just the real quiet kid. He was all right, though. Um, but they forgot who he was, and so they said, hey, yeah, now we got nine people, but instead of just standing around in the sandlock like idiots, let's play some baseball! And so they play baseball, and they have a wholesome time. Um, Smalls is the pitcher, and he's not good at it, and so, of course, uh, Hammy says the catchphrase of the movie when he can't pitch well. He says, you're killing me, Smalls! And Smalls goes, oh, gosh. And they say, that was the greatest summer of my life. But they, my life as I knew it as a small, precocious child in the year 1970 was about to change. And uh, it's basically him meeting all the people, kind of learning their lives, where they came from, and all of that fun stuff, but it can't just all be wholesome goodness. There has to be conflict for a plot to be good, and if this is as good a movie as people remember it, it can't do it on mere catchphrases alone, though admittedly they do. There has to be some sort of stuff that happens, so uh, stuff starts happening pretty soon. When somebody, uh, a realtor-looking jerk, nails a um, proclamation sign to the titular Sandlot, and it is not good news. I'll explain in just a few short seconds. So the person that's nailing down this proclamation, which is really just a realty sign, is this sleazy real estate developer that's also trying to like be a city councilman or mayor or something, and he's got the backing of crappy politicians, and his main thing to make his claim for city council or mayor is he's developing the woefully underdeveloped downtown of any town USA. Uh, and I believe he's played by a young-ish 
Jung is a relative term for this man, Rob Lowe, who looks exactly like he does in 2019 as he did in 1993, because Rob Lowe is just basically Keanu Reeves, only he's more predisposed to sleazier roles and just being a shady individual altogether. I, I don't think he killed two people in Northern Ireland in 1987 like Matthew Broderick did, but I'm pretty sure he did some lousy stuff. I don't remember what it is, but he did. And so he's kind of a crumb bum, and he's trying to run for mayor. Like, there's a sign that says, whatever the character's name is, I honestly can't remember it, for mayor. And then right next to it, in, in the background, he's nailing down the, the thing saying this is a real estate property that's going to be a condo or a mini mall, courtesy of the Rob Lowe character. And he says, you kids are going to never be able to play baseball here again because you you're unsightly and you're lowering property value. Because, again, if you're the capitalist, you're the bad guy. It happens all the time in movies. And he's there. And he just says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, Sandlot Bunch, if it's the last thing that I do because I need this mayor's office. And they say, you don't scare us. The only thing that scares us is that thing across the street called The Great Fear, which is going to be important to um, the movie, dear audience. They point to, like, the old the old man's yard over in Old Man Jenkins' yard. And the, may uh, the, the wannabe mayor just also gives a grimace, knowing full well, dear audience, that the, um, the Old Man Jenkins' yard has been equally terrifying for generations because he says, and I'm going after him next. And they say, good riddance. Go after him, not after us. He said, I'll go after all of you because this city's going to be mine in the palm of my hand. Because again, when there's kids around, sleazy politician types just are fully open-faced about their evil doings and political ambitions. And he just fudges off after that. They say, I, I wouldn't worry about him. But what you really do need to worry about, uh, you, you do need to worry about the great fear across the street, uh, explains um, Mikey. Who, now that I think about it, I think his name was Benny. Benny the mentor, even though I like Mikey the mentor better. His name was Benny. Uh, and he just explains that uh, across the street is a crappy old man who takes everything that lands in his yard. So if you want to hit a home run, don't freaking land it in there, you dipshit. Otherwise, it's never coming back. And they go, okay, that's a, that's a lot of explaining of plot elements that are going to be coming up. So uh, let's just go home for the night. And he goes home and talks to his parents and says, yeah, I made a lot of new friends. And they really like baseball. Hey, Dad, what if I show them that really cool baseball that I got from you? Because it's the one, like, symbol, symbolic thing between father and son. And it's a, a relic item just rare and things. But if I show all my friends, I'll be the coolest kid on the block. And the dad just says off-screen because most parents and adults are off-screen unless they're sinister. Says, why don't go ahead and do that, son? Maybe we can play catch later because, again, baseball is the American pastime, just like apple pie and deeply instilled racism. And he says, yep, that's right, dad. And he looks at the ball, which is signatured by somebody, but you don't see who it is. And the next day, he shows it to everybody and they say, well, cool, we'll, we'll play baseball with that for a while. And again, there's just more connections. And Smalls actually throws a good pitch for um, Max's first time at bat with, with the ball. And he slugs it out of the park and says, wow, you're really good. But unfortunately, you knocked it into old man, Jank, old man Vader's yard. And now it's not coming back. And then Max says, oh, no, you don't understand. That's an autographed ball by uh, Babe Ruth. And then everybody shouts in perfect unison, Babe Ruth! That's right, audience. This Max protagonist kid is only just learning about baseball and not realizing that a Babe Ruth autographed ball is kind of the best thing to ever happen in baseball history. And idiots that they are, Smalls, through the perfect pitch, and they knocked it into the old man's yard. Now they have to deal with the great fear, whatever that may be. Because, again, the mythology and legends that are installed in children are an essential part of childhood. And now they realize, no, we can't just leave it in old man Jenkins' yard. We have to get it back. Because I'm pretty sure... I, I made up that scene where the dad said, go ahead and do that. He said, no, that, that's an important item 
autographed by an important person in history, and we can't afford to lose a relic like that. And then he takes it anyway to try and get some sway and popularity amongst the other kids. And then, dipshit that he is, Smalls throws the ball, and he slugs it right into the one place it's not supposed to go. And above all that, they have to deal with that creepy uh, person who's running for mayor. And he's, at, uh, in the meantime, it's showing him in his, like... RNC headquarters, because of course he's a Republican. And he's saying, like, no, we, we need to do something about that sandlot. We need to get rid of it, because it's the one thing that's in my way. If we can claim it for ourselves in development, I've got the mayor in the bag. The mayorship in the bag. And uh, his advisors say, oh, we've, we've got some friends on our side. We'll make sure we'll get that by the end of the summer, and we know exactly how. By challenging those kids to a baseball game with winner-take-all for the property and development details on that Sandlot property. And he says, okay, so all I need to do is challenge the kids to a baseball game for the rights to the Sandlot and then beat them by getting the best team ever? Yeah, and we've got some powerful friends that can help you do that. Dun-dun-dun! The plot thickens, dear audience. So the kids know they are in for the greatest battle of their lives, but the first thing they need to do is not get grounded by their parents, or at least Max can't, by somehow overcoming the great fear, which is a metaphor near audience, and getting the Babe Ruth ball back to return to the parental units without them noticing. And they come up with several serendipitous plots about going over the fence and grabbing it and getting back in amount of time. They try and pick who the fastest kid is. They suggest the, the wizard build a contraption because he's a genius and likes to build gadgets and stuff. So if they can get some sort of claw thing. But um, every time they get into the yard, there's just off screen, there's growling and angry sounds and that just terrifies them. And every time they do that, uh, they fail. But, um, they also try knocking on the door, and nobody answers, and the dog barks at them again. And, uh, they, they start to feel all despondent and stuff. And then, I believe, Babe Ruth appears to Max in a dream and says, Come on! Come on, son! You can get my ball back! I believe in you! And belief is all that really matters in this realm of baseball and in real life. He says, you're right, Babe Ruth. I'm going to own up to my actions. I lost the ball. I will get it back. And then the next morning, which is a Saturday, which is rare in the summer, because Saturday is usually when you sleep in and watch Scooby-Doo on cartoons, because I guess Scooby-Doo or, like, Puffin stuff and Sid and Marty Croft thing was the equivalent of a Saturday morning TV show. I mean, we had freaking goosebumps in the 90s, but back in the, the 70s, I guess, 1970 had Scooby-Doo and Puffin' Stuff too. but they did that. But he gave up that perfectly good Saturday morning to go knock on the door of old man Vader, and sure enough, he answers. It's, a, it's an old blind man played by James Earl Jones, hence the reference to old man Vader. I don't remember his real name, but I had to call him that. And he says, oh, so I heard you lost your ball. And I heard you saying, in passing conversation, that it was Babe Ruth's. And he was an old friend of mine. We played together on some sport, I think. Baseball, it was. And when I heard about that, I made sure my dog, who I call Smookums, didn't chew anything to that ball. Here's it back. But if I may give you some advice for your upcoming battle to come, and believe me, the battle that is to come will be the hardest you will fight in your entire life. You have to overcome the great fear. And I, for years and years, people have called my dog the great fear, even though I've gone through several dogs. The great fear keeps annoying children off my lawn, and it allows me to live out my golden years in peace. But it's just my seeing eye dog. He's a good little pupper. And then the, uh, this big blood hound comes out and 
licks, which is the dog equivalent of smooches, Max on the face, and says, you need to overcome your fear. A good friend of mine, <laughs> FDR, told me that, because I know both Babe Ruth and FDR, and it's going to be imperative that you do just that to overcome your great battle, and I will even be your coach for that to come. And he's like, oh my god, you're right, summer's almost over and we're going to have this big baseball match. And then he comes rushing back, puts the ball back in the mantle, um, and everything's good there. But stuff starts getting bad because the, the game's coming up and they've been practicing for it. And then finally, uh, Mayor Jerkass Rob Lowe just shows up smarmily and he has this awful son, played by Macaulay Culkin who is basically a dead ringer for his character in the Little Rascals movie. He's this rich, snooty, unlikable type. And he's there as the team captain, even though he's the most inept. And woe unto you, dear audience, and dear players in this game, because they've assembled the most ragtag, awful team of bullies that cinema has ever had. They've got frickin' Scott Farkas Jr., the son of the bad guy from Christmas Story. Um, they have, I believe, an O'Doyle. They've got uh, Troy McGinty. He's there. They got a they got a lot of redheaded Irish folks because I guess they use those for bullies a lot. And it, I'm just noticing that now. Um, just lots of bully types, and they're like counterparts to all the main people. Uh, I forgot who the token husky. Uh, bully was, but they got that too. There's just, there's a bully for each of them, and there's this part where the camera's panning back and it shows them all standing across from their respective bully, and it, it just gets worse, um, because he says he's gonna beat you and he's gonna become mayor, and he says, why? And Max just precociously stands up and says, I'm not afraid of you, and why is it that you're giving up so much to be mayor anyway? You grew up on the Sandlot, too, and we know it. You were just like us once upon a time. And Rob Lowe just kind of, his smirk, his, his, his shit-eating grin, twitches just a little bit, realizing he's been called out. He says, you don't understand. This goes far beyond me. This goes all the way up to the president. And if you've ever, dear audience, heard Hail to the Chief played on, uh, on an ominous harpsichord, dun, 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 as you see this limousine pull around the corner and pull up to the camera so you just see um, just the front grill on the license plate, which of course is Washington, D.C., and it just says dick on it. And out from the limousine is the man behind it all, Richard fucking Nixon, played by Jack Nicholson, of course. And he gets out of it and just makes the muggingest thing for the camera and says, you kids, I hate children so much. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it, because if you've ever heard... Richard Nixon, played by Jack Nicholson. He's only done it once. He's only ever played Richard Nixon once, and that was in The Sandlot. And he's really only in, like, two scenes, but they're two major scenes. And he just gets out and drinks from a big soda and sits in the stands. And, by the way, everybody else that's there, like, all the, all the adults in town, who are all kids who played at The Sandlot at some point, are there for the biggest, most important game of their life, which I don't understand why they're not just not going to vote for Rob Lowe for mayor, but I guess if he wins, he becomes mayor. It's a children's movie. They didn't think it all the way through. And he sits there, he says, and I've also got one of the best coaches ever around. And you're out of here. He makes like this, you're out of here. Uh, gesture, and makes Rob Lowe sit in the sands, and he pulls out for uh, the coach of all the bullies. He gets Miss Frickin' Trunchbull from Matilda, as the new coach, and they got Pam Ferris and everything to do that, even though the movie's not out for three years. I don't know if they said Trunchbull per se, but she was there as just this East German-looking coach. Like, Richard Nixon's just like, I got her all the way from East Germany, and she's gonna kick your ass. <laughs> and she's there, and she shouts, Achtung! And uh, the director of uh, Matilda, which is Danny DeVito, sitting there in the audience, says, oh, I gotta get her. 
she's going to be the perfect villain for this later movie that's going to come out. And he starts taking vociferous notes. And that's when they have this whole thing with her standing at the end. And they've got James Earl Jones, who I believe was Jackie Robinson the entire time, standing up against pseudo uh, XP of Miss Trunchbull. And then you got the camera pulling back and everybody. And it looks like the battle's about to begin. But then the forces of good start to convalesce just before the game begins. And rather you see who they got there for this ultimate game to determine the ultimate fate of the Sandlot. <laughs> Maybe a commercial. No, never mind. No, no. We're, we're, we're way in the thick of things. The forces of good are as follows when they show up. Because the only person that isn't really breaking a sweat when facing such a terrifying opposition is the coach. Jackie Robinson, played by James Earl Jones. Now, this might be because he's blind and can't see just what he's up against, but turns out that's not the case, because, I mean, he has the ability to use the baseball force. So he says, don't be afraid, my friends. Hey, babe, you still got contact with those friends? Then um, the ball that was knocked into his yard, but uh, the Max's dad brought it with him. Uh, just says... Uh, the ball just flies out of his hand and is in the air and says, I sure got it, Jackie! And uh, then the ghost of Babe Ruth himself just emanates from the seams and he looks kind of like a genie. Because this was right on the heels of Aladdin, so genies were really cool then, but it's also a ghost because I don't think the writers and producers and filmers knew exactly what was going on with Aladdin, nor how genies, or ghosts for that matter, really work. But it's the ghost of Babe Ruth popping out of his ball, which makes that ball even more special. Whether he can pop out of anything that he autographs, or just that specific ball is not something that the movie specifies. But he does it, and he says, I, I can get all of my friends. And he um, opens these portals with his magic baseball powers, uh, and... There's an, the, an angel played by Christopher Lloyd, which is a um, hint to a future franchise film, Angels in the Outfield. Uh, again, hey, a cold, an old man named Christopher shows up and saves the day by being a badass. Happens once again. We're going on a streak with that. Um, and he summons just all the baseball heroes for their coach to go up against the Trunchbull. Uh, he gets Tom Hanks from League of Their Own. And... Uh, he gets Morgan Freeman to help build stands to support all the fans because, I mean, if they build it, they will come. And um, they get all the backup people from Major League, including Charlie Sheen himself. Because there's a bunch of cameos in here of all the people that are coming to help our motley squad of basic early 70s stereotype children going up against early 70s type children antagonists, even though they're more 80s villains, but who gives a crap? But, uh, yeah, they all start assembling, and they're all there, and everyone's getting really happy except for all the bad guys, and then uh, Richard Nixon, played by Jack Nicholson, sees all this happening, and he only has one thing to say, and it's, let's play ball. And so the game begins, and it, I don't remember the exact scores, but it, most of it is just showing just a montage of them playing baseball and the scores climbing and the audience looking on in rapt fascination for the fate of their beloved Sandlot. Uh, even though I think it was a different Sandlot for everybody, but it was just it, it's the principal dudes and ladies and everybody in between that they're playing for the right to be a kid, because this is 1970, and video games weren't out yet, so people still wanted to willingly play outside, which I think this was a commentary on these kids and their video games by the director, whoever that is. And uh, the score is climbing, um, and then at the bottom of the seventh, the bullies, I believe it's one of the, the creepy twins from The Shining, um, hits a, a, a home run, and that puts the bullies and the forces of evil and Richard Nixon up. And at this point, uh, small, Barry it starts crying, and Tom Hank goes up to him and says his catchphrase, 
You're killing me, small. No, he doesn't say you're killing me, small. He says there's no crying in baseball, and then discord is being sown amongst the forces of good, and. One of the other people, I think it's like the wizard, says to Smalls, You're killing me, Smalls! And they blame him on, uh... They blame, they're starting to blame it on the pitcher, they're blaming it on each other, they're starting to fall apart, and this is not boding well for the forces of good. But then there's an inspirational speech that I'm not going to bother going into by, um... Bill Murray, who makes a cameo in here. He, he's just there saying, I know, I know we're down in the dumps right now, I'm not bothering with the Bill Murray voice because, eh, I'll have to deal with that enough in the Garfield episode sometime later this summer. But he just gives an inspirational speech, and they say, yeah, and that is the top of the eighth. No, it's the bottom of the eighth. Because they were, they were in the lead. Yeah, no, they, they give a speech, and then right off the bat, <laughs> look, baseball pun, um, Tammy hits a grand slammy, and it lands in it lands in the old man's yard. And the dog comes out and barks and chews on the baseball. And they say, "Oh, great fear! Come over, overcome, something like that." But he gets that, and it puts them up. And then it's uh, down to a top of the ninth. I mean, there's a lot of tension that's rising. Like most of the third act of the movie is this baseball game. And it's just a lot of tension, and it's Smalls who has to save the day. And at this point, everybody has said, um, you're killing me at this point. And so he just has to get three of the bullies out. And it's, it's the red-headed trio of terror. He has to get Scott Farkas, one of the O'Doyles, and Troy McGinty out back to back to back. Not in that, no, I remember the third out he had to get was the most infamous bully of all time for, um... Scott Farkas. So he gets the, the first two out pretty well. Actually, no, one of them gets hit uh, on the first... One of them is hit, gets a hit on the first one, but it pop flies, and then uh, Meteor Maxi uh, gets it. So gets him out immediately. And then the second one, I don't remember what exactly... Oh, high phone noises. Oh, high phone noises. Um... It comes down to getting three strikes out on uh, on Scott Farkas, because uh, the mentor, Mikey, got hit by a, a bad ball on the uh, bottom of the eighth after the, right before the Grand Slam got hit. So now they have to avenge him and everything. So they do all that. Like, long story short, they strike him out. Uh, there's inspirational talks and stuff. And they win the game. Everyone just cheers. Uh, even even Rob Lowe uh, just can't help but cheer at the success of any town USA overcoming the forces of the federal government and Richard Nixon. <laughs> and he decides to say, you know what? I don't have to do this. I, this is too much for me. I love my town. So I'm not answering to you. I know, I know I've lost and can't be mayor anymore, but I think it's all for the best. I'd rather not be mayor than have to answer to the likes of you, Richard Nixon. And he says, I quit <laughs> politics, as a Republican anyway. But they say, we love you, though. You were actually very successful and brought money and everything to this town and made it flourish and do well. Your only thing that you didn't do was build over the sandland. We thought you kept it around because of all the good times we had here. Just keep the sandlot. We'll keep you as mayor. So it's one of those rare ones where a villain in a kid's movie just does a straight-up heel-face turn. And um, he says, Oh, really? You love me? You all love me? They said, Yeah. And he joins in with everyone, like, lifting all the, the, the sandlot crew in the air. And Richard Nixon says, You kids may have won this time. You kids may have won this time, but I'll be back. I always come back. Oh, that was good. Uh, there'll always be guys like me. And he gets in his limousine in a huff and drives away. He says, come on, Checkers 2. Oh, I know. Come on, Checkers 1, because this is in 1970 and Checkers is still alive. And his evil dog uh, jumps onto his lap and looks out the window and glowers at all of them, especially the great fear. <laughs> at this point, the great fear says, 
Oh, don't be afraid. For as long as you have fear on your side, you'll always win, says the dog. And they say, that's right. I didn't know you could talk. That's right. With the power of baseball, anything's possible. Yay! And everyone just cheers, and the girls come over, and they all drink lemonade together, and they pour Gatorade on um, Jackie Robinson, played by James Earl Jones. And then we finally get the moment we've all been waiting for. Oh, the real OG, where are they now ending? All right. So, um, the Weirdo Twins started a company or something, and they're both millionaires. Um, Hammy is now a professional wrestler called The Great Hambino because uh, to play off The Great Bambino, which was Babe Ruth, who was an imposing figure in this movie. Um, geez, I'm trying to remember what happened to everybody. Uh, the, he's a writer now. The, Maxie's a writer now who now tells the stories of his adventures in the Sandlot over the years because uh, the Sandlot got turned into an actual baseball field. Uh, by the new mayor, Rob Lowe, who got elected anyway, despite changing parties two months before the election. So, um, they did all of that. Richard Nixon went on to become the first president to resign. And, let's see. Uh, the mentor figure went on to become a professional baseball player. Barry went on to become a Harvard professor. Um... Because uh, Richard Nixon also says uh, something about him being president, and then he very stands up and says, someday a guy like me could be president. And he says, hey, over my dead body. And now he's a Harvard professor by the name of Barack Obama. Now, this movie came out in 1993, and he wasn't anywhere near politician-turned-president yet, but yeah, they knew Barack Obama was an up-and-comer in 1993, but he was just a Harvard professor. Um... One of them got shipped off to Vietnam and was never heard from again. I think it was the wizard. So, um, the quiet kid was none other than Kevin Bacon. So he went on to be an actor. Uh, so amongst the entire crew of random kids from any town USA, we have a professional wrestler, a professional baseball player, um, future president of the United States, Barack Obama, and a whole slew of stuff. So I guess if it's kind of like a Stephen King novel where you face this ultimate evil. Um, or like facing a Grinch on Grinch night or something where everybody went down in history and went on to do farther things from that point. I should also mention the Grinch was on the bullies team. I forgot to mention that one. But yeah, he was there. So yeah, uh... That's really it. Like, they all went on to have success for some reason, except for the kid that went to Vietnam and was never heard from again. But you can't all be winners. If there's one thing you learn from playing baseball that they don't really focus on in this movie because they win the shit out of it, you can't all be winners. But, uh, yeah. That's the Sandlot, everybody. Final thoughts on the Sandlot. I don't know about you, but I really didn't remember that cassette as well as I think I did. I think I got a couple things mixed up in that back half. I was just dead-ass never a fan of this movie. I'm sorry. I know it's influential on a major fixture of the 90s upbringing. Like, it's an essential sports film, but I'm not an essential sports guy. So, I don't know. There was some stuff on there, and whatever the plot of the movie was, which I think was just inclusion in childhood nostalgia for people that really grew up in the 70s and late 60s, which again were the parents um, that, so they can just show that movie to the kids and it just kind of works because of quotability uh, it's really forgettable, uh, I mean I didn't like it as a kid, I, I thought it was kind of dull, but uh, it's there it's sports and I'm pretty sure I got all the cruxes of the plot. I don't even think there was a major baseball game being played. It was just a case of, like, camaraderie and friendship. And, like, the thing they really needed to overcome, to be honest, was they needed to get the ball from the old man's yard because it was signed by Babe Ruth. The old man was played by James Earl Jones, and the Great Fear was just a friendly doggo that had just 
been overshadowed by Legend, which I think Legends are a big part of the movie. So, I mean, I, I don't feel bad about extrapolating and making it about using the power of Legends to overcome the ultimate evil, the Republican Party headed by Richard Nixon. Uh, but, yeah, it's an alright movie, which, which I just wanted to cover because I wanted to hit the, the baseball movie for the 4th of July and finally address the true where are they now ending. Because um, I remember them like showing all the kids in like snapshots and then he explaining their story and then they just fade away. And it's just bullshit. And I, I remember that much and that really stuck with me as a what the hell ending. <laughs> I went in knowing I'd do the crazy stuff that's going on there because sometimes I just have to do that and the more that I don't remember a movie ultimately, the more I fill it in and I knew I remembered like four set piece scenes and quotes from this film eh. look it's been fun uh Moving forward, though, I actually got my first request from somebody because I was hanging out with actual friends on the 4th of July, and we talked a lot about a certain film from 1980 while watching a different film from 1980, and I decided, well, per their request, per her request, uh, I'm going to cover one of those movies next week. So, again, I have to kick the, kick the Flintstones can down the road a little bit further, but we'll get to it. Hopefully before August, because again, I also have a theme month that's set up for August, so it's... We're, we're getting things back up and rolling again after that hiatus, so thank you for waiting, and thank you for <laughs> bearing with me. Uh, I What I forgot to do, I, I was so tempted to throw goddamn vampires into this movie, and have like the one of the Lost Boys be one of the bullies, but I wanted to stick with bullies instead of just vampires and bullies. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of directions I could have gone with this, but didn't. But I hope you had fun with it. If you enjoy this kind of stuff where I go completely and utterly off the rails, check out my Thumbelina episode, check out my Edward Scissorhands episode, I believe that is 3 and 17 respectively. And I can't believe, another thing I forgot to do was have Richard Nixon pull a gun at the end, and then get tackled by Rob Lowe, and then him... Say, I'm the president, I can get away with anything. And get back in his limo, which is definitely not a precursor of things to come in this horrible, horrible hell timeline that we live in now. But, uh, you know what's a good distraction from that? Talking about movies. You know what else is a good distraction about that? Listening to podcasts like mine. So if you know other people that are just trying to get by in the, this timeline, in this year, send them my way. You can do that by liking, putting some good reviews up on whatever platform you're listening to this on and showing it around to people and just having it climb the charts because uh, in my more recent episodes I'm getting more views so I'm like up to double digits now so thank you sincerely everybody so just keep the momentum coming and just keep coming back and I'll keep making episodes so uh, that'll do it for me this week thanks for listening and uh, toodles <laughs>